Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You know what I do if I own a hockey team? This is the press box. I hire a sumo wrestler. With Grady and Bischoff. I'd give him a uniform, transportation, 500 bucks a week to sit in the goal, eat a ham sandwich, and enjoy the game. My team would never get scored on. On ESPN Las Vegas. We would get scored on constantly. Maybe, but we sell a few tickets. Hey, welcome to Game 7. Tonight's the night. BGK and Wild. We'll see who advances to play Colorado. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Big game tonight. The first bite. Which goalie will start game seven? Logan Thompson. <laughs> Mark Andre Fleury. I believe he will start. Mark, you want a fun fact? Mark! Robin Leonard's the only goalie to win a game seven in Golden Knights history. Wasn't with the Golden Knights. <laughs> no, it was. It, it was? was? Oh. Yeah, they beat Vancouver. They beat Vancouver. I thought right. it was with uh, he had a shutout. Two, t- two teams ago. Yeah. Flurry's got Game Seven wins. They were just yeah. all with Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. lost the only Game Seven he played I, in. I think he starts tonight. I don't think in seven the seventh game he goes away from what he does. Now I will say this: fun fact or fun prediction: if they win tonight, Robin Leonard starts on Sunday in Colorado. Darren Millard said that yesterday when he was on with us. That's that an thinks. easy thing to say. Hey, played seven games, long series. Yeah. We need him rest. Don't you think? Because then if he goes and it's six-one Colorado. And you really want Flurry? It's an easy switch back. I just don't think. I think that's an easier switch back than switching tonight. He did that uh, last year. Was it Game Seven? He've had Leonard in against Vancouver, and then I think Game One against Dallas. He went to he Flurry, went Flurry, and then back to Leonard. Back to, yeah, that. exactly. Um, what I find interesting is whose decision is it on who the goaltender is? If it well, is one hundred percent Pete DeBoer's decision. I think it'll be Marc-Andre Fleury because Fleury has been good the entire season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been he good this good series. In the first five games of this year. I'll give you this, he's another fun fact for you. Last two games, Fleury's save percentage is 838, and his goal saved above average is negative 3.1. He's not the reason they've lost the last two no. games, but he hasn't been good. He has not been a good goaltender the last two games. He's been below average the last two. So there is an argument there for taking him out, but I, I don't think, think he does. If you're the coach, you have a full season where he was one of the top three goalies right. in the league. And then the first five games of the series where he was good too, you're not throwing that away for two games. No. So if DeBoer makes the decision all by himself, it's flurry, it's flurry. But if the front office has any say in it, if I'm George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, I can't watch my team get eliminated from the playoffs without both of those goalies playing because the golden Knights this year, they decided we're going to have two goalies. One's making $7 million, one's making $5 million. We're going to have two of the 15 highest-paid goalies in the NHL this year. And despite people criticizing and saying, hey, that's not a smart way to build the roster because once you get to right now, the playoffs, one of those guys has to sit on the bench and cannot help you win a game. Well, there's also the situation that we've heard all along from Pete DeBoer, and maybe he didn't think he was getting eliminated in the first round if they lose tonight, is we're going to need both of them. Well... If if you start flurry tonight, obviously you didn't need right. right? I mean, that's what yes. he said all along. We're going to need both of them. That's why. I mean, obviously he wants to win tonight. I, they want to win tonight, but that's why I absolutely convinced he would start Leonard against Colorado. But you might not get there. Yeah. So 
when you look at it from the front office perspective, they tried to sell the idea of having both of these goaltenders as a positive because they could keep them both rested in the regular season, right. even though the regular season was mostly irrelevant to this team. If they only had well, one of those guys this year, they probably still finish second in, in the, the West. Honda West division. Yes, they probably don't have any change whatsoever in their current position. If they had only had one of those goalies the entirety of the year. Not with Logan Thompson as the backup. <laughs> well, they might have finished first if they had <laughs> Logan Thompson playing. So the only the only reason that this season matters is the postseason. This is it. This is what matters. The regular season is irrelevant for this team. It'll sure. be irrelevant again next year. The really postseason next year. is what matters. And they put the roster together so that either five or seven million dollars would be sitting on the bench watching when instead that five or seven million could have been spent on a forward or a defenseman that would help them, you know, actually score a goal in games that matter. So if I'm George McPhee, if I'm Kelly McCrimmon, it's going to be tough for me to watch the team get eliminated with one of those goalies having played zero minutes because it becomes extremely easy to turn that around and say, well, what the hell did you do that in the offseason for? Why did you commit seven million and five million to goaltenders when you knew one of them was going to be on the bench in the playoffs? Because that's what we've been saying since the offseason. So if I'm the front office, if if they have any say in it whatsoever, I'm pushing for Robin Leonard because at least if Robin Leonard plays, it's still not good for the front office. But at least the front office can say, "Well, we gave you two good goalies, and they both lost for you." Yeah, I I believe. I believe, look, I'm not discounting what you're saying about the front office. Um, my own opinion is that Pete DeBoer should have the final say and he should decide who to start. And if not, then if I'm him, especially in a game seven, then what are you the head coach for? Well, why do you have the job? Yeah. I mean, if if I'm Pete DeBoer, I'm like, look, I mean, I'm sure they, they've met already. I'm sure they've met a lot about what happened in five and six and how they're going to change things. And if you're McFree, McPhee and McCrimmon, you need those meetings. I mean, you need to ask him, hey, what's going on? We think this and that. But ultimately, Pete DeBoer should decide who his goalie is tonight. And if you're correct and it's Robin Leonard, I I think he might be right. I think more people had influence on him than him himself because I truly believe it's up to him. He goes with the guy who he's gone with for six games. You and I talked about this um, uh, two days ago in that I think it, whether coaches should believe this or not, I think it's human nature to believe if you're DeBoer, the – Pressure you'd put on now, he's making $5 million a year, so I don't know about pressure. But to say to Robin Leonard tonight, the entire season's on your hands. I haven't given you any of these games we're putting you in. I just think whether or not coaches should think that, I think they do. Like, I think in the back of their mind, they're like, man, I haven't played this guy at all, so now I'm going to tell him the entire season's on you. You go out and perform. I just think they think differently. It doesn't mean they should because it's all, like we said the other day, he should play who he thinks gives him the best chance. That's obvious. Play the people you think is going to win the game. But I think coaches overthink the room sometimes in that sense, and they say, I can't put this guy in. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to say, you've been sitting for six games. Now just go out and win us the most important game. I think that's how coaches think. That's why I think DeBoer would start flurry. But if Robin Leonard leads him out or is the first off the ice this morning, <laughs> although the other day it was good because they are both first off the ice and Twitter went insane for six hours trying to figure out what the hell that meant. Um, By the way, before you keep going, <laughs> That's got to be one of the dumbest things in hockey, that the only oh, way to stupid. figure out which stupid. goalie is starting yeah. is morning stupid. skate, the first goalie to leave the ice. He's the one that's yes. starting. Let me ask you this. Were you surprised that because Fleury's played the whole the whole series and it just I just assume he'll play him in Game 7, it was surprising to me. I, I mean, I was flying back. I wasn't on the, the Zoom yesterday, but I re-listened to it. 
That became, and now we're talking about it to start the show, that became like a leading storyline about who you're going to start. Am I wrong to think that was surprising to me? I'm like, I just assume he's starting flurry. Like, it became yesterday on that Zoom call, like, a major fact. Now, he said, I'm not going to say, but I'm like, wow, that's – why do you think that that's become a major storyline now they're in game seven and this guy started six straight games? Well, because they lost two in a row. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what it comes I know. back to. I just, and even even if you don't put it on flurry, it's because they lost two in a row and they're facing elimination. And all we've heard – since they traded for Robin Leonard, all we've heard are things like we have two number one oh, goalies. Oh, that's all he's ever We're said. We're going to need both yeah, of them. Yeah, like, They've got the best goaltending right. duo in the NHL. Like right. all we've heard is about how both of them are good. The Jennings Trophy, is yeah, it, that's the, right. Jennings the Honor Jennings Award Trophy. trophy. Yeah. Something about Mark, Mark, or Phil Jennings gave him something. <laughs> I don't know. Thing. But that, like, all Mark. we've heard is how they're both good. How they're both oh, excellent. That's goalies. what I said. If they lose tonight and Flurry plays, like, what happened to like both are going to give us an right. edge? And so I think that's why it's a storyline because it's not. It's it's Robin like they traded for the guy at the deadline last year. He was he was the their guy last year in the bubble in the playoffs, and then they gave him a five year five million dollar extension. Twenty five, yeah, five well, year, five, five year, year, yeah. And for him, for then you get to the playoffs and him not to play at all. Granted, Flurry's been good, and yeah. there's no doubt that I have no doubt that Pete DeBoer can make an easy argument. Flurry gives us the best chance to win, but when that's how your team was put together. I, I think it's a perfectly fair storyline to think, well, would he go to Robin Leonard because of the last 12 to 14 months of this organization basically putting a lot of faith in Leonard and talking up Robin Leonard and Flurry for most of that time, too? Like, you're just not going to use one of them? Like, what is Leonard, the like sixth or seventh highest paid player on this team? And you're just not going to use him in an entire playoff series? Like, that's bizarre. Can I give you a fun prediction? Yes. I think Leonard would lose. I think coming in like that, I do. I, th- I think I, I I would start floor. I think I he don't would think lose. It, I don't think it would matter too much. Like the idea of him coming in cold, you think that would lead to I him just, losing? I don't know. I'll tell you, it's all about matchups, and I know Minnesota's not Colorado because I do think he'd start at Colorado at least game one, and then you just kind of see what happens. I also think on. I also think, and we're going way ahead of ourselves. If they play Sunday and Colorado's rested all week. I mean, obviously he wants to go in and steal one. I don't know if he thinks he can do that. I think I think there's a lot of reasons to start Leonard on Sunday, but we ha- we're not there yet. I just to go in cold in Game Seven. Now maybe he's great and they win three to one or four to one, and the guy's great. And then it's easy to start him on Sunday. Then it's like he might start the rest of the way. But man, I just think that's tough to start. I I agree with all of what you're saying. I just covered coaches so long. And I I think I know how they think, and I think he would say. This is really hard to ask this guy to do it. Even though, again, no one feels he makes five million dollars a year, and they sign him to a five-year contract for twenty-five million. No one should feel bad for the guy. I just think that's a hard deal for a coach yeah. to do. I, I truly believe that if Pete DeBoer is one hundred percent making the decision, it's Mark Andre Fleury, yeah. and because that's the easiest for him to sure. explain, and it probably it's easy for him to think that gives them the best chance to win. Like, there's no doubt about it. He's like Flurry's been great all year. Flurry was great for most of the series. Uh, last just let's games, go and that's it. whatever it's a small sample size he's the guy but if there is any pressure if there is any input from the front office on who plays then there's a chance robin leonard plays and that's that uh, because if i'm again if i'm mcphee or mccrimmon i i can't have the team eliminated without one of those goalies without one of those goalies playing like w- both of them have got to play I mean, both yeah yeah, yeah. they've got to play at some point if I'm going to get eliminated, because otherwise, I, if Leonard doesn't play, McPhee and McCrimmon essentially lit $5 million on fire this offseason. You know, it'd be a great story for Twitter if they're down 2-0 after one period and Big Robin leads them out for the second. Oh, Big Robin. 
They're down 2-0 after outshooting the Minnesota Wild 17-3. And they're down 2-0. It's like, Mark! Mark! <laughs> down 2-0. But here, that's what I think is actually going to happen tonight. I think you we're going to have someone a game. Else, you're going to have two goalies no, tonight? No, no, no. I think we're oh. going to have a game where the Minnesota Wild have like 11 shots through two periods. And two goals. And, well, possibly. <laughs> and, but we're sitting here saying like the, like the Golden Knights are not giving up anything to Minnesota. Now... Not giving up shots and dominating shots hasn't actually led to win, so it might no. not mean they win the game. But I think we're looking at this game going into the third where it's like, oh, Minnesota hasn't done anything in this game. They, I wrote this morning, if you score first in game seven, you win 75% of the time. Now, if you they play like they did the other night, no one's scoring and they'll, I'll blow deadline because there's going to be nine <laughs> overtimes because nobody will want to score. They'll wait for the other to make the mistake. But there's only pressure on one team tonight. That's it. There's no pressure on the other team. Oh, the wild? Not yeah, at all. There's a, and which, you know, I mean, I don't know what that means. Sometimes that means a lot. Sometimes it means nothing. But you go into that first period in that break down 1-0 or 2-0, you're thinking about it at yeah. that point. The Minnesota Wild were they down 3-1 no, in this series. Yeah, no pressure. They weren't supposed to win. They yeah. weren't supposed to win the series. Anyway. And you go back to the start of the season. They were not one of the teams that we thought was like guaranteed a playoff spot. No. They were St. Louis, projected Colorado, as the fourth best team, but it wasn't like, hey, they can, they're certainly getting in. Like, this is not any sort of, oh, their Stanley Cup window is open no. and the Wild need to win. That's the Golden Knights are. And you lose in the first round after losing after in the first round. One? Yeah. And after losing in the first round two years ago and after losing to the Dallas Stars last yeah. year, like, you're starting to become an organization that can't get well, it done. Not only that, and I, it might have already been as well if they lose tonight for sure, but given what happened the last two years. Look, once you make the Stanley Cup Finals an expansion team, that whole the whole narrative is thrown out the window. You're you're no longer an you're, you were never really an expansion team. They lose tonight, maybe not a sense with the majority fans, but whatever honeymoon is left is over, man. Oh yeah, that absolutely. it is over. Now again, there's gonna be majority fans. will never it'll never be over. They could never win anything, and they'll be there, and that's fine. I mean, they're faithful fans, you know, to that point. But they lose tonight, man. It's it's a failure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a massive failure. You're you, the last two years, you've been Stanley Cup favorites. And you lost to the stars, and if you lose tonight, and yeah, it's it's over in terms of a honeymoon. If in fact that still exists, yeah. Well, some people. But well, some people. Does, I think yeah. when they fired Gallant and got to bore, a lot of that honeymoon. You think so? Ended. I think yeah. that's what a lot of it ended. Is like, oh my god, what did they do? How could they do this? All right, coming up next, where's your Hall of Fame coach Eric Spolstra? Down three up. Want to be part of the show? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. When I got drafted, I went right back to the hood. Like, literally, I had my whole hood at the draft. You know, we're, 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 taught, we're taught, like, different, right? And that's just not acceptable. You know what I'm saying? No. Um, I've seen people die for less. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, 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 and then... You got these kids that's coming from these environments that's, uh, you know, populating these professional sports leagues. It's, it's hard to turn it off. You're trying to provide for your family. You're trying to do as best as you can while trying to leave the baggage in the back or, you know, in the past, you know, and, and people don't really understand how difficult that is for certain athletes. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. That is Meta Sandiford Artest. Formerly Metal World Peace. How many names does kid have? We're on our test. Quite a lot. Uh, My goodness. World be free. Yeah. Uh, he was on with Colin Cowherd talking about, well, fan behavior in the NBA playoffs because it's starting to feel like uh, they should go back to Orlando in the bubble because we have had, hey, in the last three days, the Knicks finally announced that if they advance to round two, big if, they will only let in vaccinated fans. <laughs> 
we've had the last three days. Trey Young gets spit on in Madison Square Garden. A Sixers fan throw popcorn on Russell Westbrook. And the John Morant story in Utah where John Morant's family was in attendance and three fans were ultimately uh, banned by the Jazz for making sexual remarks towards John Morant's family and one racial remark that was along the lines of, hey, let me put a nickel in your back and see you dance for me. In Um, Utah? In Utah. Come on. So (laughs) all of that has happened in the last three days. I know it's tough to believe it would happen. The shot. Um, what what are we like? Did okay? Am I just we had a year without sports and fans, and this is how it always was, or this is more than usual, right? Uh, it's a good question. No, I think it's. I don't think it's more than usual. I, I look. You get eighteen thousand, twelve thousand, whatever it is now. Post pandemic, uh, you're not getting twelve thousand people with you know. Uh, Straight for, straightforward fandom in terms of just rooting for the team. You're getting some clowns and some idiots, and that, that's in every large group. Uh, I'm sure these have been, you know, when you throw popcorn, that's the other thing about having a camera everywhere and seeing everything. You do that, you, you're not getting away with that. I mean, that's not something you'll ever get away with. The spitting, um, you could get caught on camera there. The, the remarks to the family, they're going to have to bring that to someone's attention and you're not going to hear that. I mean, they're going to hear it and then they're going to have to call over security and say, this person said this and those people have to be removed. I just think there's always been that element of it. I think in 2021, not, not that any of it's right, but it's harder to get away with that because there's just so many cameras, so many people around. I mean, the popcorn person you saw when they panned up, there's like three people just pointing at the person. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, that, because one, they were afraid that it would be pent on them, them. They didn't want to leave well, the game. But two is like, no, 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 that guy did that. I'm not going anywhere. Well, if you remember, speaking of Ron Artest, the guy next to the guy who threw the cup yes. is the guy yes. who got run. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he got run. Um, so... I think there's always been that element. I just think nowadays, I also think nowadays people are more apt to point this stuff out. I think they're more apt to point this stuff out. The story uh, from Utah was after those comments were made that other like jazz fans, other fans in attendance, like told security, like, Hey, these people are saying this this to John Morant's family. I don't know if they knew it was John Morant's family, but they said, Hey, they're saying this stuff. So someone knew because I know John Morant's dad afterwards said, Look, they all the fans weren't like that. In fact, some said they were and John Morant's dad said a lot of people it was just back and forth. It was fun. It was good natured. They're ripping each other back and forth, ripping each other back and forth. And a couple came afterwards. I think his name's Trey. I, I just I want to say his dad's name Trey. And they said, Hey, Trey, well, you know, we'll see you back here. We can't wait to see you back here. And he said, Yeah, we'll be up three one. But it was good natured stuff. So I think a lot of people, at least in that section, knew who these people were T, in terms T of the family. Morant. His first name is T. Okay, T. I'm T sorry, Morant. T. So T. Morant. He, yeah. They said, T, we hope, you know, we'll see you back here. Yeah, because his, his quote was like, I know trash talk. He's like... I, and, right, he was fine with it. And he was yeah. like, but some of that wasn't trash right, talk. Right. Some of that was beyond that. So I just, I don't know. It's like, we, we obviously see these things happen in sports. It's not unusual for popcorn to get dumped on no. a player. It's funny that we're at a point where the popcorn on Russell Westbrook is the... Least well, it's the least offensive thing that happened. Of the three things that yes. have happened. Um, Don't spit on but, people. But yeah, like that's the other way. How are you spitting on people? I, like the pandemic isn't over. You might be vaccinated <laughs> yeah. at Madison Square Garden, but you're spitting on somebody? Like, where were you the last year, dude? We've talked about this in terms of getting to the point in your mind because it's so nonsensical that I think most rational people can't get to that. 
You can never. I mean, I know the three of us couldn't get to your mind where you're so upset or whatever you are at a guy. You're going to actually spit on someone. Like we, I can't even come to that in my mind. So it's hard to comment on because it's so unrealistic and so ridiculous in so many ways and vulgar in so many ways. You can't even think of that as reality. Like someone would do that. Never would cross my mind. No. Spit on Trey Young's back while he's wouldn't like, cross my mind to spit in a cup. Standing on never mind on uh, never mind on a player. I mean, <laughs> you know, I might have some seeds in my mouth. Do I really need to spit in this cup? Someone might see me. <laughs> now I'm gonna spit on a player. I genuinely just realized the reason they're like, okay, everyone has to be vaccinated for round two is in case. Okay, <laughs> if any of you spit, we are not having a COVID outbreak. Yes. That's the problem there. So, all right. Last couple of minutes here. Lakers uh, go up 2-1 on the Suns. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to somewhere else. You want to go to the Heat? Where is your Hall of Fame coach? Well, All I heard during my, the bubble. My Hall of Fame coach, my Hall of Fame coach made the absolute mistake of calling out uh, Giannis uh, taking more than 10 seconds to shoot free throws because I read this morning since that moment, I think the Bucks have outscored the Heat 352-2. to two. <laughs> So they got the Bucks pissed off by saying Giannis took too much time because it's staggering from that second how much they've outscored the Heat. So your Hall of Fame coach, yes, Hall of Fame coach, can't He's... overcome Giannis free no, throws. No, no. Which, by yeah, the tough. way, Giannis might be the worst player in the world to call out that he's taking too long on his free throws because he's gonna miss it anyway. <laughs> like if Steph Curry point? was taking too long on the free throws, yeah, call him out because that's the point you can take away. Giannis is gonna miss it anyway. Hey, it was a, it was a mishap. All, most Hall of Famers happen in their careers. Oh boy, he's gonna get swept in the first race. He's gonna lose. Two, he lost two games in a row by like a hundred <laughs> points. <laughs> The best part is the fans counting, like chanting a count while he's shooting free throws, and it's like, you're down by 25! TNT put up a graphic to count, too. Took him 11 seconds, by the way. Should have been called for it again. They've lost, uh, I think, four? I want to say four games, four or five games, maybe it's more, to the Bucks this year by... I want to say 19 or 20 more. And they beat them last year in five. I know. <laughs> they got to the Eastern Conference. They, yes. they got to the... Uh, they beat them in the second round last year. They got year to the finals, didn't they? Yeah, they lost they, to the, yeah, Lakers, lost in the, the Lakers in the finals. An embarrassing finals for Eric Spolster, your Hall of Fame he coach. He keeps getting back to the all finals. I what I are heard, you well, not yeah, this year. All, all they do is... Well, go, not this year. They went to the playoffs. Come on. All not I've heard is that Eric Spolster is this great coach when in reality he had LeBron James and then last season he went to the finals in the bubble. Other I mean, than that, you know, Phil he's Jackson been a had good players. Disappointment. Phil Jackson had two, three Listen, of the greatest players ever lived. I might look up and tell you that Phil Jackson's <laughs> overrated too. He had Shaq and Pippen. Right? He's a bum. He might be a bum. He wasn't. He he wasn't coaching anywhere before he had Jordan. Right? Now he's uh, strolling the sidelines in the Knicks. Yeah, he's a bum. All right, coming up next, Austin Gale joins the show. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. You can tell he's just a guy that you want to be around. Character is awesome. Just had a few conversations with him, and I can already tell. Um, and then just a hard worker. You know, no one's going to work harder than him. And those are the kind of guys you want in your locker room and that you want to be around every day. So, um, and then I'm excited to see what he does on the field as well. We've got a few days, and he looks great. He's in, he's in awesome shape. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. That was Trevor Lawrence talking about Tim Tebow. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. So, Austin, are are you prepared for Tebow to make this roster? Absolutely. I mean, who isn't? I mean, it's Tom Selling jersey in Jacksonville for a reason. I do think he looks pretty jacked, though. You saw some of those photos. The guy has pieced up a bit. <laughs> 
He's he 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 has the tight end body. Hasn't he always though had kind of a tight end body? Yeah, he's, he's always been a tight end. That's yeah. the problem. I mean, his worst <laughs> his worst trait has always been his kind of throwing accuracy, everything that has to do with kind of the throwing part of the quarterback position, the leadership, the rushing ability, the body, the athleticism. That's all. But I mean, this guy ran a six 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 three cone. Like he was a legitimate athlete coming out of Florida. He just had a bad arm. I <laughs> I believe it was. Diana Rossini, who reported yesterday the idea that Urban Meyer wants to use him like Taysom Hill. So uh, we're absolutely getting Tim Tebow taking a snap at some point during the season, aren't we? In in a league where Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, (laughs) Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady are dominating, winning Super Bowls, they're competing for Super Bowls, still everyone in the NFL is searching for the next Taysom Hill. I don't get it. Why are we searching for the next Taysom Hill? What is Taysom Hill done for the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints aren't even competitive if Drew Brees doesn't play for this football team. I don't understand. Like, Why are people looking for the next Taysom Hill? What does that mean? A backup tight end that has some spiritual leadership? I don't understand why there's this Taysom Hill chase in the NFL. You need someone that can play tight end and go tackle somebody on punt coverage. I guess so, man. I guess I, I really <laughs> underestimate how much a Taysom Hill does for your team because on the football field, in between the whistles, it doesn't feel like it's that valuable. Or quarterback and throw a pick and then go tackle him. Yeah, like see, usually quarterback, yeah, quarterbacks usually give up on that, and then all of a sudden the guys run him. Tebow would put him down. He'd put him <laughs> in the ground. Uh, Want to ask you about the huge, uh, not rumors, but they are swirling around Julio Jones and the Raiders. Saw something this morning. It makes sense that uh, Ruggs would be untouchable in any deal. I guess that's because they, you know, they still believe in him, and he's only in his second year. If you're the Raiders, what would you give up for Julio Jones? I do think they're in a position, you know, with enough cap space to pull off a move. I think anything more than a second-round pick would be a bit aggressive. And why you do it is, you know, regardless of the state of this roster, they feel like they're in a window, at least offensively, with Derek Carr coming off the best season of his career. And then also, the, the offensive line did take a step back with some of the pieces that they did lose. But you have Josh Jacobs, you have Henry Ruggs entering year two. Like, you have to do everything in your power to try and put up points because the defense isn't going to be good next year. Even with the addition of Gus Bradley and moving some players around, I do not think this defense is going to be a top 15 defense in the NFL. Borderline not top 20. So you need to score a ton of points. Doing everything you can to facilitate some of the positives you have on the team. Derek Carr, Darren Waller, Henry Ruggs, year two, Josh Jacobs. Offense, you make that a strength. I think giving up a second-round pick for Julio Jones is a move that I think they could see the Raiders make. You said they're in a window. Um, Is that window to get to, like, nine wins? Is it a nine-win window? (laughs) The problem is, is any team that's paying a quarterback on that second contract, like the Raiders are with Derek Carr, that you know the Colt, you know, Eagles were with Carson Wentz, the Vikings with Kirk Cousins. When you have that highly paid quarterback, you need to make every move you can to go chase a Super Bowl because, like, this is it. Like, you have to, you you are in a window to win with Derek Carr. As soon as Derek Carr and you move on from Derek Carr, you enter a rebuild phase and you start to start over at the quarterback position. So I do think that. The Raiders are in a window. It's a bad window. It hasn't been a good window for a while, but at least they think they can be competitive. Uh, on Julio Jones, where would you like to see him play? Is there a team you want to see him play for? I really like the, the fit with New England because I do think that New England can be really competitive in the AFC East. I think they can be a legitimate you know, Super Bowl competitive team. I think they're the most improved team of this offseason to add Julio Jones as well, to give another weapon to a combination of Cam Newton and Mac Jones, I think could be a huge move. And I also like, I like the Los Angeles Chargers a lot. And I know... Raiders fans don't like to hear that, but the number one thing on the Chargers list should be to develop Justin Herbert and get to a point where you feel confident in his future outlook. And throwing the kitchen sink at resources on the offensive side of the ball is how you do it. Bringing in Julio Jones, obviously adding along the offensive line like they did, Corey Lindsley, Rashawn Slater, trying to do everything you can to put Justin Herbert in position to succeed. 
I think it would be great to see him pairing up with Keenan Allen as well. Mike Williams entering the last year of his contract. I feel really good about that fit as well. Uh, supposedly, it'll be 2022 before Deshaun Watson is even deposed, which I assume means they have to go forward with him this year, uh, despite what they said in terms of uh, wanting a new uh, organization face. Uh, do you think what happens here? I mean, how, how can you play out the year? You'll play out the year with him, but what do you think this will look like? Given it's not until next year he'll even be, you know, in front of a, an opposing attorney answering questions. Yeah, I think criminally and legally, you won't see a lot of, you know, action, or I guess like obviously decisions made, but I do think the league could step in. That's where like the decisions are being made. I think the league could step in and suspend Deshaun Watson for the 2021 season. That's what I'm most interested in. Obviously you know, the case and all that stuff. We'll see what happens ultimately with like the sentencing, but still I do feel that the, the league, it'd be very, very surprising if the league with all that's happened, lets Deshaun Watson play in 2021, at least not with a significant suspension. So I'm interested to see how many games the league even lets him play. If you're Houston, let's presume the league does let him play. Do you let him play? That's tough. I do think that's tough. I do think you do let him play, right? I don't know. Like, it's tough. I I think, you know, the situation is so hairy, and also no one has all the information. I do think that it's it's a tough decision. I I think Deshaun Watson, if he's able to play, you do play him. But, again, I think it's an ethical conversation. It's a tough conversation to have, you know, without all the facts. Do they have their draft picks for next year? I don't. See, the tough thing there is, like, I don't understand why they made the decision to go after Davis Mills when you know they're going to be in a position to take a top-flight quarterback prospect in 2022. Like, it's going to, it's kind of like setting the pick on fire because it's not going to be Davis Mills <laughs> competing to start next year if they do move on from Deshaun Watson. It's going to be Spencer Rattler or Sam Howell, Keaton Slovis, one of these top-flight quarterback prospects that you do end up hitting for the top three pick in 2022. Uh, the Patriots say Mac Jones has swag. I guess that's what you say in the first day of OTAs when he actually shows up and uh, you know looks uh, in shorts and and a t-shirt uh, uh, fine. But they split this interesting. They split him with Cam and they had Hoyer instead of nine. This might not mean anything, but is this to you a preview of what might happen on the day where they go with Cam and uh, it, you know it's it's Mac Jones? I, I do think that Cam Newton will get the start week one. I think they want to start with Cam Newton. However, I think they're already ready to start building packages for Mac Jones that aren't Cam Newton packages. Because I do think that Cam Newton's going to run a completely different offense than what Mac Jones wants to run. I think Cam Newton's going to run a run-heavy offense with quarterback position, two tight end sets, do exactly kind of what he did with Carolina and North Turner a few years ago. And then with Mac Jones, I think obviously you're not running the football with your quarterback with Mac Jones. I think it's going to look a lot more similar to what he ran in Alabama. But if there's one coaching staff that's capable of putting together kind of two offensive philosophies for two different quarterbacks, definitely Bill Belichick and the staff he had there. Is Aaron Rodgers just spending this offseason trying to make the Packers jealous because he's everywhere but at OTAs? I don't know if it's jealousy as much as it is like trying to make them more aware of just how important, how valuable he is to this football team. I think we're seeing an era in the NFL where players are becoming more valuable than ownership and league decisions and those types of things. Like Aaron Rodgers is the Green Bay Packers. And the fact that they didn't involve him in some of the decisions they've made is kind of ludicrous. Like this is a football team that is not Super Bowl competitive without Aaron Rodgers. The fact that they did not involve him in the decision-making in the draft or the agency is just bonkers to me. Like, this is the most valuable. Like, you have to look at it like a business. This is one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable player or person in your company's business right now. And the fact that you're not involving him in some of these high-end decisions just doesn't make a ton of sense. Don't we all want jobs where we can just give up fifty grand a day and be in Hawaii jumping <laughs> off cliffs? I mean, it's, it's like I don't know what he's, I, I don't close. know what he's I'm giving right up there. a day, really but I want close. that I'll job. Get there eventually. Oh man, I want that job. Yeah, who needs half a million to work out? <laughs>
then ultimately, I mean, he's in Hawaii and he's everywhere else other than where, you know, they would like him to be. Do you get any sense that they actually would move him? I don't think they're going to be able to trade him. I think it's more likely that Aaron Rodgers chooses not to play in Green Bay and then ultimately makes the decision to, you know, post Jeopardy. Like, I do not think he plays for another football team next year. I do. It's either Green Bay or it's Jeopardy. Would he actually do that? Like, I mean, I don't know how much Aaron Rodgers cares about, like, the sports talk radio legacy, but if if he doesn't play football anymore, he's going to go down as, like, the biggest, like, oh, he was one of the great, most talented quarterbacks, but he only won one Super Bowl while Tom Brady won 100 in the same time frame. Like, do you think he'd actually just step away and say, yeah, Jeopardy's fine for me? I just don't know how much he cares about that legacy stuff, you know? Like, when you hear him speak about what, you know, what he wants to do and, like, the people and the culture of Green Bay, like, I really just think he wants to make a ton of money and have a fun life. He's in Hawaii right now with his wife and wants to live close to the West Coast, I'm sure. Green Bay weather doesn't hit all that well compared to California and Hawaii. So I do think that he's prioritizing things off the football field, and probably for good reason, because the Green Bay Packers have done nothing to show that they're prioritizing Aaron Rodgers. Oh, man, I just looked it up. It's only 48 degrees in the Green Bay right now. Disaster. You hate to see that. It's almost June. It's 84 in Hawaii, so you just split, you just you interchange the numbers. <laughs> Uh, I want to ask something real quick about uh, Darren Waller, and this was, believe me, this was on a fan site or a fan first in terms of Darren Waller yesterday. They showed him a picture and said, here's the best tight end football. I mean, I think it's Kelsey. How how close is Darren Waller in your guys' minds to being the best tight end? I think it's very close. I think there's a tier one of tight ends in the NFL right now. It's Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Darren Waller, and I don't think it's close. Like Those are the three best tight ends in the NFL. I think Darren Waller, the only reason you – aren't really ready to make an argument that he's better than Kelsey or Kittles. He just hasn't been doing it for that long. Like this past season was kind of his breakout season where you saw him be dominant. You saw him, you know, force defensive coordinators to do something different to try and stop him. Like he became a legitimate difference maker for this offense this past season. If he continues to add to that and puts up some of the numbers that we've seen from Kittle or Kelsey over the years, that's when you start to enter the conversation. Is Darren Waller the better tight end in the NFL? Yeah, but now that Jason Witten leadership is gone, how he's gonna not going to know, he's it's not gonna know what to do half the big time wit, without Witten. Wit. You have to expect regression with Jason Witten leaving now. It's going to be very difficult, sure. <laughs> well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Austin. Of course, thank you. Yeah, big wit. Yeah. I believe Tim Tebow didn't make Tier 1. No, not yet. He's tier 2. Got to Got to prove it a little bit. He's like Kyle Pitts. If you're top five tight ends in football... Darren Waller, George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey are in Tier 1. Kyle Pitts and Tim Tebow are in Tier 2. Is this like Urban Meyer telling Trevor Lawrence before he meets the media, ah, don't worry, say something good about Timmy. <laughs> yes. yes. Meyer suggesting to Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, who? Who? <laughs> Timmy was out there, the tight end. Okay. Tebow. Right. Tebow. That guy who played when I was like eight? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, God, I remember him. He wasn't any good. <laughs> What's he doing out He here? ran a lot. <laughs> All right. He completed four passes in a playoff game. (laughs) All right. Coming up next, star baseball players. Oh, they get lost in Las Vegas with all the entertainment we have here. Baez bounces one to third, picked by Gonzalez. The long toss, it pulls the man off the bag, and Baez trying to stay in a rundown long enough. And now sliding in the plate is safe. I don't believe this. The Cubs just got a run on an amazing play by Javier Baez. Baez is going to go to second base now as the throw gets away. He slides at second. He's safe. The ball bounces away again. The Cubs have scored an unbelievable run on a play by Baez. He struck out. He ran to first. The ball was in the dirt. They had to either tag him or tag the bag. 
The first baseman, Craig, just started chasing Baez back toward the plate. Meanwhile, the runner from second, Wilson Contreras, rounded third and headed for the plate, and he scores. I can't believe that. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. So Will Craig is the first baseman for the Pirates. Well, he was yesterday. <laughs> we'll see about the lineup today. And I think he forgot the rules of the game. No, no, Ed. The Pirates want to lose. That's going to go down as one of the plays of the season for the Pirates. Um, listen, someone who watched the Astros tank to 100 losses in four straight seasons, that's a great play. You sign up for that that's, every day. That's of Jets level yeah. like, uh, defense right there. Give up the Hail Mary to Henry Ruggs to blow a lead. No. Um, so, yeah, if you didn't get it from that, uh, ground ball to third with two outs. It was throw, not a strikeout. It was not. The throw took the first baseman, Will Craig, off the bag. But when he tried to tag Javi Baez running down to first, Baez just started running back to home and managed to get in a rundown between home and first. If at any point in this sequence, Will Craig had just turned and walked back to first base <laughs> and stepped on the bag, the inning would have been over and no run would have scored. Well, he he could have run back to the bag, and even if he slid past home plate and, and tagged it for a force yeah. out, the run yeah. doesn't count. As long as the force out count. ends it. And even yeah. if they tag if they tag Javi Baez at any point between home and first, yeah. it's the same as a yeah, force same out. Thing. Yeah. So even when that run scores, if he just holds onto the ball and touches Javi Baez, yeah, the run doesn't count. The inning is over, yeah. no run scored. But instead, he threw it to his catcher, and the catcher couldn't get the tag, and then there was nobody covering. Well, the catcher first. was shocked. He actually threw. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Why don't you run back to first? <laughs> it's I just screaming. What are you doing? What are you doing? I it's it's he, I don't know. He forgot the rules of baseball. Yeah. That's the only thing I can say. The last time I saw this, literally. I was instructing you six girls on what you're supposed to do in a rundown and all the, the majestic softball fields. Uh, they were they were five, and they did it actually quite well. A lot of stuff happened in this, being completely lost in this about terms of the rules of the game. Why wasn't the second baseman coming over to cover first? You always cover on the back end. Because he's looking at his well, first no, baseman I mean, saying, why no, the hell are you in a rundown? As he's halfway down in a rundown, doesn't it get in his head like, I don't think this guy knows what he's doing. I better go cover first. <laughs> no, he was so shocked by what was happening. He was frozen. <laughs> he barely was covering second. <laughs> oh, he what a disaster. And what the, a disaster. I want to say, I think the worst part, because the next hitter then singled in uh, Javi Baez. I think the worst part is that counts as an earned run. <laughs> oh, my God. Because it, it it goes down as a fielder's choice, right? Yeah, it's a fielder's choice. So I think that yeah. counts as an earned run against yeah. the pitcher. Fielder gets... made a very poor choice. <laughs> he did. Um, okay. Does we... he think it's a horrible play everywhere around? I didn't hear his reasoning afterwards. Does he think there's I, this may not mean anything? Does he not know there's two outs? I mean, what what the... what went through his head here in terms Possibly, of why you do? I don't know. I, I'd have to. Does he normally play first base? Like maybe I, maybe he's normally <laughs> a third baseman and he's to like rundowns between second and third but like i even even if there's only one out i know yeah it's just i'm trying to get i mean he, he obviously just had a base. complete breakdown and, and <laughs> forgot every kind of rule of baseball so you're trying to put in your head why did he do this like what could he ever possibly be thinking i like the fact rizzo was nice about it as he fell over laughing like falling <laughs> over the, uh, the he almost fell out of the dugout he was laughing so hard <laughs> as he's clapping uh like a like a madman and laughing at what's happening um it was, 
it was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre what he did, and there's no explanation for it. I didn't read afterwards. I'm assuming the Pittsburgh beat writers said, hey, uh, Willie, what, what happened? What'd I mean, uh, well, what would you do there? Um, <laughs> can you imagine Will Craig? Then they get the hit. But even as bad as it was, my guess is Will Craig at the moment didn't realize social media-wise until after the game. I mean, then he well, probably did he see said, the oh Cubs dugout. If he saw Rizzo laughing that hard, he might have realized. Over. He, he might have realized. Oh, I, I made a this mistake. This is going to be bad. It's not going to be good. So um, you were gone yesterday, unfortunately. We didn't. You weren't here for Jose Altuve taking Trevor Bauer. Yeah, he deep. took him deep. Took him deep. Yeah, yeah. you missed split, that. Split the two games. Split the two games. Pool so. struck out in the game as the tying run. Yeah. Also enjoyed that. Are you ready for Astros Padres? That's I'm ready for. I'm ready for the cheaters to sweep them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I go. Ba- I go basically on uh, whoever's playing the Padres. I go basically on just win, just win those games. I don't even care if it's the banging drum guys. How are you feeling about the Padres having the best record in baseball? I I think it's very cute that they're happy after fifty games. They can have I the really best do. Record. I mean, listen, I, I sixty games cute. is enough for the Dodgers to win a World Series. So it's a different year. It's <laughs> bounced back against the Giants last night, my friend. Bounced back against the Giants. <laughs> Pujols has lost one game since he's been on the team. He's probably looking around saying, man, this is pretty cool. And Never he struck lose. out as the tying run in that game. Yeah, I did double last night. Bounce back. Man, that is probably, you're probably right about Pujols. He went to the he's, Angels. I mean, he's looking around saying, does this team ever leave? <laughs> lost one game since he's been there. He signed that massive deal with the Angels. Probably thinking, yeah, won a lot in St. Louis. Yeah. We went a lot here as well. We're going to figure it out. This Mike Trout guy's pretty good. <laughs> he's been a whole like decade there. Wait a minute, that one anything. guy hits and pitches? <laughs> Look at that guy. How can we? How are we losing with yeah. this guy? He does both. <laughs> and now he's with the Dodgers, and he's probably. You know what? He blew up about like playing time and how he wanted to be in. He plays every lineup. night. Well, because you know yeah, well, Bellinger's still down in. Well, I'm going to well, triple I'm going to say now that he's with the Dodgers. Eventually, once the Dodgers are healthy, Pujols won't be playing every night. Presumably, no. he's probably going to be just fine with not playing every night. Because oh, we're going to the playoffs. <laughs> exactly. I haven't done that in 15 years. <laughs> Haven't done that for what? Once since he left St. Louis, right? Is that it? All right. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by the Oakland A's president, Dave Cavall, who spent the last week here in Vegas uh, checking out different sites to potentially move here. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Dave Cavill.